0: Eric, today we're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of Mark. For those who are listening, we are in Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30 today, and that means we're going to cover the question of the unforgivable sin. Now, Eric, I would imagine that uh, a lot of people, a lot of believers, or even probably unbelievers, know about this concept of the unforgivable sin, and it's probably terrifying to them. Did you ever lay up at night wondering— if you've committed the unforgivable sin?
1: Yeah, I remember, you know, being a, a young Christian and being a part of Bible studies and reading this passage, and it's kind of talked about in, in circles, wondering what it is. And and I think for me, uh, you know, I had sinned a lot in my life, had fallen, fallen away from God in some major ways, and I wondered... Was it me had I had I committed the unforgivable sin and, and is that why my life was was so terrible um, wondering if I could ever come back from all the sin that I had committed maybe maybe God forgot about me maybe he just wrote me off because of this mm. well we're gonna answer that question by the end of
0: this podcast, so I encourage people to keep listening. Now, it's going to take some time to get to the answer. We'll read the text here in just a little bit, but Eric, I think it's good to think about the different types of sin, and there's no, you know, the Bible doesn't actually give us a clear listing of the types of sin. I guess you could say Galatians 5. Um, Paul gives us a listing of sin, but churches tend to categorize it even more and the Catholic Church has been around a long time so they've got some categories of sin uh, I, I went down a sort of an internet dark hole as I was <laughs> learning about this the Baltimore Catechism explains like this okay here we go the two broadest types of sin are original sin and actual sin so original sin is the sin inherited through Adam Romans 5:12 that's a, that's a thing original sins a thing but then the the Catholics call it actual sin. Actual sin is when you're when you're sinning in everyday life, and they break that down into two types of sin. And you maybe you've heard of this before, but I never really fully understand this. So what, the one type, I know our Catholic listeners know just what I'm talking about, they call it venial sins. And those are the sins that are slightly wrong. I like that. They're slightly wrong. I don't know how you determine if something's slightly wrong or not. But, but here's the idea is that you're, a venial sin is slightly wrong or at least you maybe it's maybe it is serious, a serious sin, but you didn't realize that it was a serious sin so that's venial. And then the mortal sins are sins that are fully like seriously wrong. You commit those sins with full intent. And in fact, the catechism goes even deeper because it talks about capital sins, or we we think of them as the seven deadly sins. We actually have a whole series on this at Pursue God. And these are the chief sources of actual sin. And here they are, seven deadly sins. Again, this isn't necessarily a biblical list. This is a little bit more like a traditional Catholic list. Pride, greed, lust, gluttony, anger, envy, and sloth. So basically... Um, The Baltimore Catechism says that these seven deadly sins, these capital sins, are the chief sources of all actual sin, and that actual sin breaks down into venial sins or mortal sins. And when you think about all of that, somewhere on that continuum, our question for today is... Is there an unforgivable sin? Like, So if, if you think about like a, like a number line, and on the left you have venial sins, and kind of in the middle you have mortal sins, and somewhere way off there on the right, you have something called the unforgivable sin. The, un, not like a bunch of them, but the one unforgivable sin, the sin that nobody can come back from, the sin that Jesus won't forgive, the sin that his blood doesn't cover. The question we have is, is that a thing? Is that a thing? And we're going to answer that today as we get into the text. Maybe, Eric, we're ready now to read the text. Why don't you read it? Mark chapter 3, starting in verse
1: 22, ending in verse 30. But the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth. all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying, he's possessed by an evil spirit. So there was the scary part right at the end.
0: Jesus, his own words, Jesus' own words. I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. So think about, again, how the Catholics categorize sin, again, which isn't necessarily biblical, but it's good to think about, you know, there's probably a continuum of sin, and what Jesus is saying is all sin and blasphemy can forgive, be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. So it seems at face at face value that Jesus is saying there is such a thing as the unforgivable sin. And again, to understand it, Eric, we probably need to start by unpacking the beginning of this passage, which starts this whole thing, where these teachers of religious law come to Jesus, and they make an accusation against Jesus. And here's the accusation. They said, Jesus is possessed by Satan, and that's where he gets the power to cast out demons. And so let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, this is where we need to remember the context of where we've been so far in the book of Mark. Maybe you're you're listening to this for the first time. Well, if you go back to the context, in chapter 2, Jesus started getting challenged by these religious leaders. It says the teachers of the law. We call these guys Pharisees and scribes. These were people who wanted to discredit Jesus. They didn't believe in him. They were unbelievers, but not just unbelievers. They were antagonistic unbelievers who thought that he was preaching the wrong thing. They thought he was blaspheming. Um, They couldn't deny his power because all the way up until this point, we've seen Jesus perform so many different miracles. He's cast out demons. And so so they can't say that he doesn't have any power or he's just a nobody. So what they are saying is, no, he's doing it out of the power of Satan, you know, because they believe Satan to have some power. And and this is just, you know, really ridiculous if you think about it. They don't have an argument, and so they'll say anything that oftentimes we see this right in in debates or arguments with people is if they don't have a rational or a logical argument they'll just start saying anything and and basically being dishonoring and disrespectful that's that's kind of one of the first things that i see out of this yeah and then jesus you i think you're right i think we
0: we probably could spend the next hour talking about the crazy accusations. And there's some craziness out there. Some of the things that atheists might say Mm -hmm. and how they might accuse Jesus, or maybe if you're trying to share your faith with somebody at work or at school, maybe you've come up against some of these kinds of arguments that just don't even make logical sense. And so Jesus really responds with two very logical counters. The The first thing he says is, that just doesn't even make sense because Satan wouldn't fight against himself, right? It's that famous, I think Abraham Lincoln quotes it, a nation divided against itself won't stand. And so he says, like, I'm casting out demons in the name of Satan. So the first thing Jesus says is that just doesn't even make sense, logically.
1: Yeah, I think there's also some underlying truths to be said about this. Um, when Jesus is speaking he's he's almost judging them with this illustration. He first starts with a you know uh, talking about a nation or a kingdom divided against itself wouldn't stand and then he moves to a household or a family um, divided against itself won't stand. and I think Jesus may be, you know, he never says anything that doesn't have great meaning to it. I think uh, we can see that he's probably saying this in judgment to them, that, you know, the nation the nation of Israel, but just by you saying this, being the, the leaders of the nation of Israel, you are a nation divided, and you aren't going to be able to stand. Hmm. You, you're a nation of unbelievers, and really that's what Jesus has come to correct, but they just don't get it. They hmm. don't. They don't understand. Um, and and it's interesting to think about again. Maybe a practical application about a family. A family divided against itself doesn't stand. Next week we're going to get into this idea of of when your family doesn't believe. When your family doesn't believe, how that makes it hard. Uh, so please stick around for that. But. We're still talking about in this one how ridiculous it is that that they're claiming Satan is is warring against himself so he can do these miracles in front of people and and Jesus is just saying come on man are you serious <laughs> <laughs> And then okay and then Jesus
0: illustrates it even further okay so the first illustration to refute this ridiculous claim of the teachers of the law. The first illustration is about a kingdom divided, a family divided. But then he makes an even, in my book, Eric, an even more interesting point, because then he says, let me illustrate it further, and he, and he starts talking about a strong man. You know, mm. who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his good? So really, if we're if we're kind of mapping out this illustration, he's basically saying that Satan is the strong man, and he says... Only someone even stronger could tie him up and plunder his house and again we, when we read this with the power of hindsight we re, we think that Jesus is talking about Satan versus Jesus, Satan's strength, Satan's power versus the power and the strength of Jesus basically that Satan is strong. I think it's important for people to hear that you know we're talking about sin. And, and spoiler alert, we're not going to end up in this episode saying sin is no big deal and sin has no power over you. No, actually, Satan is strong. Sin is strong. It can destroy lives. It has destroyed lives. But what Jesus is saying is that he's stronger. He's stronger than Satan.
1: Yeah, and, and let's talk about that for a second. You know, Satan is the author of, of sin, He's the one who sinned. The Bible says he was sinning from the beginning. He was he was cast out of heaven because the sin of pride, um, and then he comes down to earth to tempt human beings to sin. And now Jesus is on the earth two thousand years ago. In the book of Mark, what he's recounting is Jesus has come to to change that. He's come to take away the power of Satan because you know they're talking about Jesus casting out demons well it's ridiculous that that Jesus would be doing it by the power of satan Jesus is doing it by the power of god the holy spirit he's casting out demons to reclaim the earth in which god created when it said in genesis you know everything is good he created everything good until the fall of human beings which made this world sinful now you know, evil is is running rampant in the earth and and Jesus is basically saying, So I've come to tear down the works of Satan, and basically these guys are unknowingly in Satan's camp because they don't understand why Jesus came in the first place. And so he gives them this little parable when it says only a strong a, a man stronger could tie him up and plunder his house. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, "I've come as that stronger man. I am stronger than even the powerful fallen angel, whom by the way, humans should not try to fight Satan in their own power. They can't do it. We don't we, we shouldn't be trying to pick fights with Satan and demons, you know, thinking that we're going to win. No, Jesus came because he's the stronger man. He is God himself, not a not a created being, not even an angel. He is God himself, and he's come with the power to bind up Satan once and for all, and he's going to do it as he completes his mission, the whole thing that, that Mark is recounting here.
0: Yeah, some people get the idea that Satan and Jesus are sort of like equal but opposite forces, and that that could not be further from the truth. Jesus is stronger than Satan because he created Satan. Jesus hmm. is creator; Satan is a creature. Satan was created an angel, and and then he fell. Um, he tried to usurp God's authority, and he couldn't because he's a creature. He's not. He's not. He is no, Satan is no more on the same level with Jesus than we are. Like, we're created beings, we're finite, Jesus is infinite, Jesus is fully God. And so, I think, number one, it's important to understand that, that Jesus is stronger than Satan because of that. But really, number two, that Jesus is stronger than Satan because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit in his earthly life. And that's where kind of what you're talking about Eric if we're like we uh, followers of Jesus are stronger than Satan in the same way that Jesus was able to defeat Satan it's by the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus didn't tap into his divinity while he was on the earth to defeat Satan even even the temptation in you know in the in the wilderness before Jesus started his ministry it 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 says you know Jesus used the word of God and the Holy Spirit which is what we have access to as well. So we we can't... I'm not saying that we're as strong as Jesus, but we're stronger than Satan, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Now, we're kind of getting a little bit uh, far afield from our point for today, but I think the really the point for r- right now, at least in this context, is, okay, the teachers of the religious law misjudged Jesus. They, di- they, they made the wrong judgment about Jesus. They said Jesus was possessed by Satan. And that is clearly wrong. But Eric, I don't think anyone today listening to this or even friends of people listening to this is going to claim that Jesus was empowered by Satan. But it's more likely that they'll claim that Jesus was just a human being, that he was just a good teacher, that he was just a moral example for us. He was just a man. And I think that really hits a little bit more um to the core of what we're talking about when we talk about the unforgivable sin. Because if you don't understand who the real Jesus is, if you don't understand what the real Jesus did to conquer sin, because that's what we're talking about, all these kinds of sins, and is there that one sin way at the edge, way way on the fringe? is, Is there that one sin that is unforgivable? Is that one sin that Jesus didn't conquer? That's the question we're addressing today. And to answer the question, we really have to go back, back up just a little bit, and make sure that we understand what the Bible says about Jesus. And I think one of the best places to do that is in Acts chapter 10. You know, if you're listening to this, and if you've taken our Pursuit series at PursueGod.org, uh, this is topic number five. We're just going to take take a minute to recap topic number five from the Pursuit series. It's it, we, we talk about Peter's sermon to Cornelius in in the house of this Gentile guy, and Peter's preaching about Jesus, and I love in these verses how he goes through five things, I think, that you really need to understand about Jesus if if you want what Jesus can offer you, which is forgiveness of sins. And it comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 36 through 43. Again, this is Peter preaching to a bunch of non-Jews. It's really the first time he preached to the Gentiles. So, it's fun because he doesn't necessarily even use Jewish language through all this, but he, he says these five things. Number one, Jesus is Lord of all. So, Jesus is fully God, not just a human being or a good person. Number two it says that he went around doing good. So, you know, that Jesus is perfectly good. Even though he was fully God and fully human, he was perfectly good. Another way to say that is Jesus was sinless. And it's important that Jesus is sinless because if he wasn't sinless, then he'd have to deal with his own sins. He couldn't deal with our sins. Number three, it's kind of a two for one. It says that they put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. So number three, this is really important, obviously, is that Jesus was crucified and risen. And then number four, and this is this kind of hits on what we're talking about today, is number four is that 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 Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of all. So, in other words, that Jesus actually will judge us for our sins, which again is scary when you think about the list of sins. And is there one that's way out there on the edge that's unforgivable? So, number, so number four, Peter says that Jesus will judge us, which Eric, there's not a lot of, you don't hear that a lot in church these days that, Je- that Jesus will judge, that there's judgment coming for you, mm-hmm. but, but there is judgment coming for us and we could die in our sins. But here's the fifth thing that Peter says in his sermon says, everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. You now, I love that it ends on that positive, powerful note is that your sins can be forgiven through the name of Jesus. Okay, so all of that tells us who Jesus is, the real Jesus. Remember, the, the teachers of the law got it wrong. They, they were claiming ridiculously that Jesus was possessed by Satan. Peter tells us, no, here's what's true about Jesus. He's God. He's fully God. He's perfectly sinless. He died and was raised from the dead. He's the judge of all. Like he has the power and authority to judge us for our sins. But number five is that by believing in his name, we can be forgiven through his name of our sins. That's who Jesus is.
1: Yeah, and it's important as we think about this passage we're walking through, Jesus has been revealing, I mean, all through the book of Mark, who he really is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one to come to fulfill the Old Testament. He's the one who is coming to save people from their sins, to 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 get rid of the burdensome duties of the law, and ultimately to defeat Satan and all that he has done in trying to destroy humanity and and the creation of God and and so it's important to remember that Jesus is stronger than Satan and he demonstrated that on the cross that's where Mark is headed to we're, you know so we're 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 in an eyewitness account of Jesus life but but if you know anything about Jesus, you know Easter, uh, Good mm-hmm. Friday, and 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 Sunday, the Resurrection. It's all leading to Jesus dying on the cross, becoming the sacrifice for our sins. And so, when we're talking about the sins and how many sins does Jesus forgive, and 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 how much power does He have over Satan? Colossians two. It says it like this in verse 13 through 15. It says, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so Jesus' work here in the, in the gospel account of Mark is heading to him dying on the cross to be the, the, the one who takes our sin and nails it to the cross, taking away Satan's power. So again, going back to the ridiculousness of what they're saying, they don't even know what they're saying. Why? Because they don't have the real Jesus they they don't understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They still have these lists of rights and wrongs and levels of sins. Even back in Judaism, they had levels of sins. And so here we are at, with this question then, okay, so what is this, this unforgivable sin then? And And I just want to say, before we even get to that, how powerful was it? that Jesus died on the cross it says he, he forgave all our sins and so what does that mean what kind of sins does Jesus forgive i want to talk about a little list maybe here and say what is what is what the unforgivable sin isn't because when i was younger in the faith and struggled had i committed the unforgivable sin well i had done all kinds of different things you know that the bible's very serious about sexual sin and I'd committed those. But yet I know that Jesus death on the cross forgives all sexual sin, any kind. What about my, my addiction? Jesus Christ forgives that. If you're here today and you've you've had a divorce, Jesus forgives that. If you've you've had an abortion, Jesus forgives that. Jesus forgives lying. Jesus forgives every sin. Um, that's listed in the 10 commandments all of those forgiven you know even if you were to commit adul- idolatry adultery even murder right even murder mm. so 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 some of these huge sins Jesus death on the cross was powerful enough to forgive some of the greatest one in our ones in our mind and so you know that kind of leads us to although there are there are a lot of sins that I haven't mentioned, you know, that are, that are considered the smaller sins, like, you know, coveting and, and, uh, being greedy and, and lying and, and stuff like that. But, but that leads us to, okay, then what is this thing? I mean, we've probably got the people on the edge of their seats right now. Like, (laughs) like, how is this true that all those things Jesus forgives by his death on the cross? Those are disgusting things that you mentioned, Eric
0: right and and a lot of people could be thinking
1: you know thinking
0: that they're good or at least they're better than the other guy and they're mm-hmm. like I did you just say that Jesus forgives murder I and, and I know that there are some people who are on the edge of faith who one of the reasons that they don't want to come to faith in Jesus is they it seems too inclusive it seems to um brush off sins. again I, I don't want people to misunderstand these sins we're not saying these sins are no big deal. they're a huge deal. they're a huge deal but Jesus can save you in spite of it. the, the blood of and one way to think of it is that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than your sin. your sin is powerful. your sin is strong. Satan is strong. He's a strong mm. man, but Jesus is stronger. His, his blood is so powerful that it washes us clean from all of these sins. Again, it says it right there, he forgave all your sins. And, it, and that was in Colossians 2, and we read Acts chapter 10. It says, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. There's no asterisk there. It doesn't say, well, except for this one or that one or the other one. It says, you're going to be your your sins will be absolved your sins will be wiped out through the name of Jesus and notice also what it doesn't say it doesn't say that your sins will be forgiven when you show yourself to be properly penitent that when you do all these things you, you know you 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 go through sort of the ritual the religious rituals in fact, some of you might even be listening to this, and we, we talked about venial sins and mortal sins from the Catholic Church. If you, if you dive into that Baltimore Catechism, I didn't include it in here, but some of the stuff that they say in there is that, you know, the mortal sins are the ones that really require baptism and confessional in order to obliterate those sins. Actually, the Bible says it a little differently. It says that everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven. There's not, it's, there's not a church somewhere There's not an institution somewhere that has the authority to decide whether your sins can be forgiven. Jesus, the name of Jesus, is the only way that you can have your sins forgiven. When you trust in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him, another way scripture talks about this is to repent and believe. When you repent, which means you're gonna turn from your old way. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. You turn from your old way. You repent and then you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. There's not there aren't other sacraments. I'm not saying I'm not saying ordinances are wrong or bad. Baptism is wrong. Nothing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it doesn't save you. That's not how how your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven when you repent and believe in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is greater than Satan. Jesus, Satan might be a strong man, but Jesus is a stronger man. And Jesus, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers of, and authorities of this world, and he shamed them publicly by going to the cross and defeating death at its own game. He went to the cross to die, the perfect sacrifice for imperfect people like us. And if you would trust in Jesus for salvation, the Bible says that all of your sins are forgiven. So then, Hmm. I know some people are listening, okay, I got it, I believe it. So is there an unforgivable sin? And I think, Eric, we should spend some time talking about that because Jesus
1: says that there is. Yeah, so let's read that last portion of our text where Jesus says... I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. So, he just told us what the unforgivable sin is. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but yet we're going to have to unpack that. What does that really even mean. Well, first I want to say this. The Holy Spirit is responsible for um scripture. He the Bible says that men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and, and they wrote down these words in the Bible. It says that in I think it's first Peter um, twenty and twenty-one. Um, the Bible in first in Timothy uh or second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen, all scripture is God breathed. Okay, and so we believe that the Holy Spirit wrote scripture. Jesus also says in John that the the Holy Spirit's job is to to bring to remembrance all that I've said to you and, and, and to illuminate people's minds about who Jesus is. Okay, with and so with all that in mind, then to to deny or blaspheme the Holy Spirit then is to really deny and reject what he has said about the identity of Jesus. And so I, I, so what we're saying here is is that to get Jesus wrong and to believe in him or to reject him or to believe in him in a wrong way or reject the truths about what God has revealed about him is the unforgivable sin. And it's basically the sin of unbelief that Jesus can't, take away all my sins, that I've got to either do some other things or Jesus isn't powerful enough to do that. Which the answer is that is that is wrong. We just covered that. Yeah. So think about these religious leaders. They
0: had they had seen if you if if you've been following with us through the gospel of Mark over these last several weeks, the religious leaders are there most of the time and they're seeing the Holy Spirit at work. Revealing the identity of Jesus, time and time he he you know the paralytic is lowered before him in the in that house where he's preaching in Mark chapter two and Jesus looks at him and he says your sins are forgiven, and the religious leaders saw that and like well you you don't have authority to do that you can't say that and Jesus said okay just to prove that I have that authority he looked at the guy and he said get up and take your mat and walk and so he healed the guy. So again, stories like that just over and over and over again. It's G- it's the Holy Spirit revealing who Jesus is to these religious leaders. And now here we have them in chapter 3 and they're taking all this evidence for the divinity of Jesus, for the real identity of Jesus, and they're misjudging it. They're they're twisting it. They're like it's like they're gaslighting Jesus and they're saying you're possessed by a demon. And so Jesus, he's saying this, look, if you refuse to accept the truth about me, Mm. which is, like you said, Eric, is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, if you refuse to accept the truth about Jesus, because there's only salvation in Jesus, there's not salvation in any other name. So if the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus to you and you reject that revelation and you you say that Jesus is someone other than what the Bible says about Jesus, and you persist in that understanding, and you're rebellious toward God, and you refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and acknowledge who Jesus is, that is the unforgivable sin.
1: Yeah, I want to talk, let's play this out a little bit, because this is somewhat still a scary thing, you know, to think about the unforgivable sin, and I think... In our world, the great, the easiest example to pick from, you know, you brought up earlier, is maybe an atheist. You know, the the Bible. Uh, you know, they reject the Bible outright first and foremost. They reject some crazy notion that a guy who claimed to be God came down two thousand years ago and died on a cross and, and rose again, and and people reject that, right? And so, I think a lot of people could say, okay you know an atheist is is low hanging fruit when it comes to the people that that reject but yet we're talking about the the chosen nation of of Israel and their religious leaders the 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 religious organization that god himself set up <laughs> and and these guys have twisted scripture got it wrong over the years and kind of have muddied and 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 really just you know, added a bunch to the scriptures and taken stuff away. So that means not only atheists, but there's all kinds of other religions out there that claim to have the right Jesus that can be guilty of this sin as well. And that is what scares me. And that's what breaks my heart for the people around me and the fam the, the family members of the people that come to our churches is that we're all we're all kind of broken and hurt because we know who Jesus is, but yet they don't. They haven't grasped it yet. Many of them have, have rejected it, and we 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 worry, are they ever going to get this? And, and that is why we must walk through these scriptures and teach them about who Jesus truly is, because this is the way, this is the method through which the Holy Spirit designed for people to to have their stony hearts turned to flesh, you know. If you go back to Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, God said, you know, there's going to be a day coming when, when it won't just be outward uh, teachings for me—the Ten Commandments, the law, and all that—but I'm going to put the law in your hearts, and and I'm going to I'm going to have a relationship directly with you. But in order for you to even get it, I'm going to have to do heart surgery. I'm going to have to come in and take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart and so there's a miracle that happens and and God needs to do this heart surgery on people and and really it's the holy spirit doing that work on people as we're as we're preaching the gospel and sharing and and even these guys the Pharisees they they can see some work of the holy spirit okay the holy by by the holy spirit Jesus is doing miracles casting out demons and what they're doing is they're rejecting that that general that call from God that that movement of the Holy Spirit and they're saying nope that's not the spirit that's satan and therefore that's why it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cuz they're rejecting his regenerating work to give them to even the ability to to see who Jesus tr- truly is so eric what would you say to the person
0: who's listened to this whole thing, and okay, so they're saying, okay, I, I get it. I, I think I understand what you're saying, is the unforgivable sin is misjudging Jesus and refusing refusing to acknowledge his true identity because there is salvation only in Christ. And therefore, if you, if you reject Jesus, that's another way to say it, if you reject Jesus till you die. Mm-hmm then that's the unforgivable sin. There's no coming back from that because the blood of Jesus doesn't apply to you. It doesn't cover your sin. So two questions, just as we wrap up here. Number one, is there, is there any chance after death to change your mind? Is there a mulligan when it comes to this kind of thing?
1: No, and, and Hebrews 9.14 says it's appointed unto man once to die, and and then the judgment. And so many other religions have developed some kind of second chance in order to not fully embrace the truth about Jesus' full... Uh, propitiation, which is his, his sacrifice on the cross that is exchanged with us, that to not accept that it's by Jesus alone that we're saved. And many other religions have added like a, you know, a, uh, a waiting place where where somehow they can work off their sins or other people can pay for their sins in this life and it applies to them. But that, that is not the truth. There is no second chance.
0: Okay, so then here's my last question for the day. You know, if someone's out there listening and they're they've put their faith in Jesus but they are wondering kind of like you were at the beginning of this, they were they're wondering could I possibly have committed the unforgivable sin? I'm not sure if I've ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit. What would you say to the person who is genuinely fearful that maybe they've crossed that line, they've said something about Jesus's identity, maybe, you know, maybe earlier in their life or whatever, and they wonder, could I possibly have committed the unforgivable sin and I'm not really saved?
1: Well, if we go back to Scripture, you know, some of the verses we read about Him forgiving all of our sins— Even in this verse, it says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. And so, it's not too late if you have had a wrong view about Jesus, or you've rejected it, or you've called it foolishness. It's not too late if you still feel the call and the tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart. When you hear this, and you're moved by it, and you want to repent and believe in Jesus Christ— that's the sign that it is not too late. The sign that it's too late is that your heart won't allow you to repent and believe.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. If you're listening to this and you have that, that's what you were talking about, Eric, is that tender, responsive heart. To me, even just asking the question is a great sign that Mm. you have a tender, responsive heart toward God. So I would say if you're asking the question, you shouldn't lay up awake at night wondering if you've committed the unforgivable sin. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Trust that what he did on the cross is more powerful than what you've done in your past. Trust that salvation is only through Jesus, because Jesus conquered sin and death, and you don't have to worry about the unforgivable sin if you come to Him with that kind of an attitude. Now, if you want to talk about this with your family or your small group or your mentor, you can find all this at PursueGod.org forward slash Mark. Again, this is part of our Mark series. It's a great series to use in your small group or in family devotionals or one-on-one with your mentor. Make sure to join us next week as we continue to go through Mark chapter 3.